0: Hello and welcome to episode number 75 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond and I am a middle school music teacher and I'm a Modern Classrooms implementer and a mentor for Modern Classrooms and I am super excited to be hosting my first feature episode of this season. This is the first time I've hosted one of these in this new season-based format and I'm really excited about this one. We're going to be talking about the tools that we use as modern classrooms teachers to implement and facilitate self-pacing. And we're going to really get into the weeds and like get into the specifics of things. Um, and, and I'm super excited to, to be having this conversation with my panel here. I am joined by a fantastic all-Canadian panel of K-8 through teachers. So up first, we have Carla McEachran, who is a grade 8 teacher at Irma Coulson Public School in Ontario. Hey, Carla, how are you doing?
1: I am very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I am doing great. Thank you for asking. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, up next, we're actually joined by a pair of teaching partners at the same school, grade four teachers at Traditions Elementary School in Saskatchewan, Emily Job and Dave Reed. Emily and Dave, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Zach.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Of course. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. So before we get started, I'd like to just give the three of you an opportunity to introduce yourselves. Um, you can tell us a little bit about who you are, what you teach, and how you started your Modern Classroom's journey. Emily, why don't you go first?
2: Well, my name is Emily Joe. As you said, I teach grade four at Traditions Elementary School in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. I've been teaching for about nine years, and I've been teaching grade four for the last seven years. And I've been working towards just Modern classroom and the self-paced classroom for the past five years, but came to modern classroom in the fall of 2020 and jumped right in in January of 2021 and have been teaching for uh, self-paced in my classroom for the past year. Um, This past year, actually, just the last couple months. I've done the mentorship program and now just kind of working through to the application for the Distinguished Educator.
0: Oh, fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, Carla, how about you? Introduce yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Carla McEachran. I am a grade eight teacher in um, the Halton District School Board. I. This is my 20th year of teaching. I currently teach core, so I have everything from math, science, art, English, history, geography. What can I tell you? I stumbled upon Modern Classroom when it was brought to um, a group of educators called the Shift in Halton, were introducing it to teachers. And, um, so I was like, what's this all about? And I stumbled upon it, um, was like, what is this blown away right from the get-go? So I started implementing it. I went through the, I was great. I went through the mentorship program, uh, in the fall this of this year. So 2021 and I uh, implemented it right away at the same time um, and then eventually got my teaching partner sucked into it and he totally uh, was on board and so we started rolling it out in not one but two but three subjects all at the same time while I was in the mentorship program um, and then I recently um, earned the uh, Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator so uh, I am pleased to be part of that collective as well. So I'm thrilled to be here and share my journey and knowledge with everyone today.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And uh, Dave, how about you? Introduce yourself.
3: Yeah, I'm Dave Reed and I am, uh, I guess I'm Emily's older and wiser teaching partner. So uh, <laughs> I've been teaching for about 13 years, um, all in Saskatchewan, uh, three grade three, four, five, and six, mostly in grade four. And uh, yeah, I guess my story is, pretty much identical to Emily because we, uh, we've we been working towards something like this for a while. And then we stumbled into the MCP, uh, I think it was in December of last year. And so that kind of got the ball rolling on a few of the pieces that we were looking for. And uh, yeah, we did our, our mentorship. I think we're looking into the dis- distinguished educator and uh, kind of just see where it goes from there.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's something that I hear a lot from teachers is like, we were sort of starting to build toward this, and modern classrooms just kind of tied it all together. That was my experience too. Um, okay, so so we're really going to get into the the nitty gritty here with self pacing and like the the stuff we use in our classrooms. And I've sort of in my head I've kind of divided up this conversation into two parts. So I want to start out talking about sort of like the general tools that we mostly all use, like pacing trackers, LMSs, things that maybe all teachers use, but certainly all modern classrooms teachers use, and then The other part of the conversation is going to be sort of more like the things that make each of your classrooms unique, stuff that is sort of like maybe people haven't heard of, more like one-off things. Um, But let's just start off broadly talking about how we present the idea of self-pacing to our students. I think that... Uh, As a tool for self-pacing, what I was thinking of specifically was like a lesson zero or a unit zero or something, which I think is a very common thing that modern classroom teachers do. And it felt like a good starting point because that's the very first thing we do at the beginning of a year. So do you do that? Do you teach your students to self-pace? And what sorts of tools do you use to teach your students about self-pacing?
3: Yeah, I would say for Emily and I, rather than a specific unit zero, uh, we looked at the curriculum we looked at like our standards and what, what kinds of units could we start with that could be mostly teacher modeled and allow for more success as the year went on. And so, I mean, anyone who's taught, you know, grade three, grade four, something like that knows about how much modeling needs to come into it. And so we use a science and a math. Uh, we also do a few different subjects for self-pacing as well. So we use a, a science and a math unit to kind of model the process. And so, you know, like the very first day we're teaching kids how to use the LMS, um, how to log in properly. We find in grade four at our school that kids often haven't even like logged into anything. So it's a lot of, of the work like that at the start. And then, you know, just modeling the structures and modeling the self-paced tracker. And we, we watch videos together and we fill out guided notes together and we check off our checklist, our self-paced trackers together, and just kind of getting through most of that unit with them. Uh, the students can often kind of be released to do things on their own after that.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think the idea of modeling and like sort of using the unit to teach inherent, not inherently, but implicitly, like learning it by doing it. That's a really fantastic way to introduce kids to a modern classroom. And I love that you pointed out the idea of modeling, which. I teach slightly older kids, but still, like modeling, showing the kids what to do is just so much better than telling them.
2: I was just going to say that we also like structure our units um, to be self-paced. So the first math, the first science unit does have a have a checklist. Like we could use it later on in the year as a self-paced unit, um, but we choose those ones because we think they're they're the best to be teacher guided. Um, where we can go step-by-step step with the kids.
0: Oh, that that makes sense. Yeah. Carla, how about you? Do you have a, a unit zero that you would consider to be a self-pacing tool? Do you teach self-pacing?
1: Well, I actually created a unit zero for my students when we first introduced um, the Modern Classroom concept to them and so it was just basically an overview of like what it was like what is modern classroom what are the rules and routines and things that were going to take place in the classroom and just so they could kind of get the gist of what this was all about and it was interesting because I was the first unit that I rolled out was an English unit and I would say that that was probably not the smartest move, um, because it was hard. Um, it's harder to roll it out in that, but when we saw it roll out in like geography or even math, for example, um, we saw so much more success, but, um, these kids, the key skills that they're lacking, and I don't know if it's COVID related, is it that combination of being virtual and then back in the classroom and then virtual and back in the classroom again. So we've actually had to spend a lot of time just teaching like, and I teach grade eight. So those basic like self-regulation skills, organization skills, like how do you keep track and like being very mindful. And I, you know, like for example, like today I paused my class like midway through, I was conferencing with a group of students and I could just see some kids were almost like lost because this is our We're just back again from being virtual once again. And so I said to them, okay, I want you to pause and think about what you're doing right now. What is your body doing? What are you physically doing? And are you meeting your goals of what is expected right now? And so kind of like just doing those check-ins with them um, just to kind of get them like, oh, right, this is what I need to be doing. And those reminders, I think are so important. Those those learning skill reminders, right? Those self-regulation, organization, responsibility, like constantly modeling and teaching and kind of going Back to what those look like, feel like, sound like in a classroom, uh, will definitely they they need it. And until they get into these deeper habits and more structure and routine, I think it will just come naturally to them. But it's going to take time. Like these kids have got, unfortunately, developed some pretty bad habits with with everything that's been going on, and that's at no fault of their own. But yet, it's just a they're a consequence of I guess what we've been going through.
0: Yeah. They, they will develop the habits though. I, I think that like, that's interesting the way that you, that you put that because it's not so much a lesson zero or like a unit zero that you front load. It's more like a daily thing. Yeah. Right. Teaching the self pacing in a, in a daily way. And and we'll touch more on sort of our daily routines later, but, but yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, but they do, they do learn it. I will say like having now taught through two full years, I guess there were two rather disruptive years, 2020 and 2021, but, but still like having been through two full years of modern classrooms they do start to you do get to provide less and less support as the year goes on and they do learn the habits which i certainly think that as kids go through the grades in modern classrooms they develop them even more and by the time they get to high school and and beyond high school they're really strong um so yeah hold out hold out hope because they will learn them (laughs) let's let's dive in a little bit more on the modern classroom specific stuff And I guess the most obvious tool that we use for self-pacing is our pacing tracker or a progress tracker. So could you describe your progress trackers? Could you describe what sort of format they have? Any special features that you use if they're public or private or if they're like student-facing or class-facing or teacher-facing? Talk about your pacing trackers. Tell me all about them.
1: So... The basic tracker and I have been on a journey together (laughs) because trying to figure out what works and what works for these kids, right? Because um, I started at the beginning between like having this, like having all of the lessons kind of laid out in a table, in a Google slide, and the students were able to then plot their name where they were. Um, But then the names were getting jumbled up together and it was becoming more cumbersome for them than, and they were just kind of ditching it um so i had the class pace tracker And I, now I'm using the auto updating one that is, um, out there, which is, oh my gosh, blow my mind away. Amazing. But I use it for me and I like, so then we do like a daily check-in and see where we're at for that particular one. Um, the one time I did give students the editing privileges and then they messed up stuff and then it just, you know, went kaput. So right because if they don't put the right for like it just messes things up if they don't follow the proper thing. So that was a like, oh, don't do that again. So I've learned a lot. Um, but I would say that the best tool is the game board. I really like the game board structure pace tracker for the students. And then I have them like have a, like a little icon that I create that they kind of move along as they go. Um, it's a nice visual because then they can see the big picture of where are we starting, where are we going, where are we ending? They can see where there's potential may do or aspire to do tasks that they can do as the, along the way because they like to know, like they like to know what's going on, right? So the game board is that really great visual that allows them to see. And this, I find they have had the biggest success with those individuals. The class tracker, um, we're working and I think we finally found our niche, but um, it's been a journey for sure.
0: Yeah. And Carla, you shared with me your game board tracker and a couple other trackers too, actually. And listeners, I will put those in the show notes. Um, This show notes for this episode is going to be packed and this, the, the my my three guests have shared a ton of really cool resources with me but yeah carla's game board is in the show notes and so is that auto updating tracker which i agree is like some kind of wizardry i don't know it's like
1: oh i know right
0: if you go in and look at the formulas they are way over my head but um rob is a genius so so emily and dave how about you what kind of tracker do you use do you use the same tracker or different trackers
3: uh we use the same tracker as, as like each other like we share our trackers but uh we had we we tried the game board once and like we we like the idea of it and even i was listening to a podcast the other day from the mcp it was uh it was like self-paced learning in the elementary classroom so it would have been one of the more recent ones i i heard one of the ladies talking about having the the game boards be themed so like kind of a cool idea to have like if you're unit is on habitats it's all animal themed and maybe they're moving an animal around the board or something like that but uh right now our self-paced tracker that we use is it's more of a checklist and so the kids have the students have a checklist that has all the standards written up at the top and then it's similar to a game board in that it's sequential so they start at the very top they check that off if they've got it complete and they move down to the next one and uh, so as I said earlier, that's something that we model very hard and make sure that they're actually checking in and going through everything. So our, our checklists follow a pretty similar pattern that they start typically with your video and your guided notes and then a form of practice or an activity and then a mastery check. And if they pass that, they move instead of in the game board kind of moving on, they would move to the next column, which would typically be the next standard or the next skill within a standard.
0: I see, yeah, and Emily shared that tracker with me as well, so it'll also there'll be also a copy of that in the show notes to check out. um Emily, you also shared a teacher tracker with me. Can you explain what that is?
2: yeah, I did i my teacher tracker I have on Google Sheets, which is um one of the Google apps, which is just a spreadsheet, and what I do, I keep all of my subjects on there and I just put the concept or the standard that the student is working on, um, which column they're working on. And when they complete the their mastery check, I just mark down how well that they did on the mastery check on there. And sometimes I will write down how many tries it took for them to complete that mastery check or to actually move on. Just for my own knowledge on if they are taking two tries every time to master concept, then that might mean that I need to help them a little bit more throughout for the next concept. So so they're getting it right away. Um, But I just, yeah, I keep it all online and I, we write our, our, um, the concepts as I can statements for the kids to, um, to go through. So they're understanding exactly the purpose of what they're learning. And so that's kind of how I keep track of it.
0: That's really cool. I, I never heard of any other teacher doing that, but I think it's a really good idea to like keep track of the number of attempts and things like that, which is really useful for you. It's a great data point, but like not that useful to the whole class. So there's no reason to put it in your tracker that the kids see, but like for you it is. that That's really cool. And I might sort of, steal that idea of having a teacher tracker. Like my pacing tracker, which I'm also linking an anonymized version of my tracker in the show notes, it's pretty much the same for me and the students. Like it just shows what lessons they've completed and what lesson is on pace uh, in a spreadsheet format. But, and then it does some calculations and things, but that's a really interesting idea. And I think that I'm going to start thinking about more data points I can keep. I, I actually just tried implementing one, which tells me how long it's been since a student has submitted a lesson which is something that had never occurred to me to track before, but I'm starting to see like, whoa, you haven't submitted a lesson for a whole week. And it's like a red flag that I never saw before. And now I'm tracking that. So I'm thinking about right now, I'm thinking about more data points. And Emily, that's a a really interesting one. um, And a really interesting idea to have a teacher based tracker. Okay, well, let's talk about another crucial tool in every modern classroom, and probably every classroom in 2022, which is the LMS or the learning management system. Um, I think it's really important to be intentional with our LMS layout in a self-paced class, uh, because that's sort of where the self-pacing rubber meets the road, you know, like the kids work through our LMS. And if we're not there, they need to know what to do next. A lot of times they want to work from home or they might miss class for any variety of reasons. Um, and so, That's where the self-pacing actually happens on the LMS. So could you all describe sort of how you set up your LMSs, what LMSs you use, um, and how you set them up so that students can access their work and navigate through the sequence of activities that you planned at their own paces?
2: Um, So at the beginning of the year, we always introduce Google Classroom to our students. So that would be our LMS. We've tried Office Notebook before when we first went um, online in March of 2020 and then our school moved to Google classroom that following year and honestly we love Google classroom We find that it just helps supports support the students really well and with the modeling at the beginning of the year um, before we've done a scavenger hunt with the kids because at our age level they don't they have they don't have experience with Google classroom so the scavenger hunt will help them, just go through different aspects like what is the stream page what it's what is it meant for where do you find class work and what is that meant for um we made tutorials so we could video tutorials so we can send those home to parents um so they understand the you know google classroom too because at our age level, they don't really have a lot of experience, and parents don't. So, and we want to have that communication. So, if a student is working from home, that the parents also know and how to support their kid and where to go to find things.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love Google Classroom too. It's the one that I use as well, um, and I will in the show notes be putting a screenshot of of my Google Classroom. And Carla, you also shared a screenshot of your Google Classroom, so I'll be sharing that as well. Um, Google Classroom I love because of how simple it is. And I can imagine that for younger kids, even more so. Um, it's kind of like I can understand having to learn how to get to the classwork page and find stuff. But it's also like there's not that many places to go besides the classwork page. And so I think it's a really great LMS
1: I um I will second that. Google I'm we are Google Classroom um and it's great because by grade 8 they've been using it for a multiple a number of years now. So they are very familiar with the platform and there's a lot of things and tools within Google Classroom that you know I love and So for starters, I always create my own separate Google Classrooms for every subject. So some teachers don't love that. Some teachers prefer to have one classroom with everything. I like to keep it very... Like this is English, this is math, and so it's separate classrooms. Um, and I make sure I use those topics big time because I make sure when I whatever cr- I'm creating. So right now we're doing book club, that's run through Modern Classroom, and so they're t- like with the topic of book club. So then everything else um, they can filter through very easily. I think probably the biggest thing that I make sure of is that. I have it nicely ordered, like from top to bottom. Like, so I, when I organize it, um, because I can, so I save everything, I upload everything and I save it because I don't, I made the mistake the very first run through and posting everything all at the same time, all at once for them, that was overload information. So I am very cognizant now of making sure like I don't post too much too you know, up too early. And I'll post like maybe one or two things a lesson depends on what we're doing one or two, three things a week um, for them. But I but what it does is that if I upload everything right away, and I can move drop and drag everything in the Google classroom, what ends up happening is that um, I can organize it so that it's very clearly organized for them. But I think the kids once they get older, they realize that there's the to-do bar that they can access their classwork page. They can see what they've handed in, not seen what they handed in. So they almost have with Google Classroom, there's almost like a built-in organizer for them so that they can see what have they handed in, what is missing and what is still to come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, I don't teach multiple subjects and I have a feeling that a lot of United States teachers just heard you say that you teach grade eight English and math and might've had their minds blown. But, um, I teach one subject and I agree, like having a single Google classroom for a single subject makes sense because it's like you want them to sort of follow a linear path. So I like the idea of having it, like you mentioned this, having it be very sequential and and linear. And I see it in your screenshot too. It's like you just go down basically, Um, which I think is a self-pacing consideration. I do that intentionally so that my students know what to do next, like they finish one and they just go on to the next. Yeah, so transitioning from google classroom into lesson classifications uh, i want to talk about lesson classifications as a self-pacing tool i actually hosted an episode on the of the podcast like several months ago on lesson classifications just in general and the uh, i guess like as i planned for that episode i realized just how much of a self-pacing consideration the classifications are i think that at first glance it seems like a very it's sort of a tool a tool for differentiating more than anything else which it is um, but it is a self pacing consideration, too, because when a kid is behind and needs support in catching up because they have not managed to self pace, they can skip and aspire to do or they maybe can skip a should do. And I and I, I like to think about self pacing and lesson classifications that way. So I'm curious if you all think of this that way as well and how you would characterize your use of the lesson classifications. And by that, I mean, like, must do, should do and aspire to do with regards to self pacing. Do you, Do you think about it that way?
1: Well, I think what's the first thing that I think is interesting is that one of the things I've done in Google Classroom more recently is I've actually started to add color-coded emojis at the beginning of my titles. So like everything is color-coded. So all of my must-dos are yellows. All of my, I call them may-dos are purples and all my aspire-to-dos are green. So I'll have like a little box, like a, or also known as a square. I will have a square. (laughs) that's um right before the title so they can visually see that and so that's I like really do that what's interesting is how my may do's and aspire to do's have transitioned depending on the subject if it's English I look at them very differently and it's almost something that can be done depending on um The particular lesson itself, whereas math could be to potentially like an overall, like a grasp task or a big, you know, diagnostic that they could potentially do at the very end, um, that they could be working on as they go. Whereas sometimes like with an English lesson, like for example, if we're doing some like a short story um where they're doing you know looking at theme and they could potentially therefore you know have a may do or an aspire to do task where it's like find um a story on your own and compare and contrast so it's like they're bringing in additional support or different additional resources to better their understanding or showcase their understanding um i the may do's for me are always something that is like a you know, to reinforce whatever's being taught in class, the aspire to do's are those like really high level, um, Like far-reaching tasks that, and to be honest, are often the tasks that I've had sitting in my Google Drive. And I'm like, dang, I wish I could teach this, or I wish I had time for this. But then I find that, oh my gosh, this works. And I can actually throw it in at these kids that are always ahead of pace. And this is something that they can dabble into. Um, That I never have time in class because when you're doing um, a traditional type classroom where you're lecturing, you are, I find, you know that you don't have the same kind of time that you potentially could, um and then it gives them that opportunity if that makes sense,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely and that that's what I kind of what I mean. I think I think we're saying the same thing. It's like managing your time is something that you do through the lesson classifications,
1: yes, yeah, for sure,
0: yeah, and that's that's sort of why I think of it as a self pacing tool
3: so this is one that we do a tiny bit differently too, and I think that that's partially because of the age. That uh, the age of the students that we teach. And so on our checklist, we don't really have the must-do, aspire-to-do, could-do's. We take all of that into consideration, but when we plan out our units, our checklist kind of has, um, like it has all of the activities on it. And so we find that at this age level, most of our kids can do most of the work most of the time. And we differentiate along the way, and so because the kids are using the checklist and the tracker, they'll come and see you for a mastery check or they'll they'll come and see you to um just check their progress or how am I doing and that kind of thing and because of the way that we do our our teacher tracking and I mean there's other things like we 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 write on the board as well, like the pace that we think students should be at often. So on the board, there, there'll there be a lesson that's starred. So it could say like task card number five, and it'll have a star on it. And that would mean that that's like the recommended lesson. So it's still very self-paced. And that we have a lot of kids that sometimes are, I mean, lesson five is starred, but kids are on lesson 15. But if a kid is starting to fall behind, they know now that that star is what they should really focus on. And so at the start of every day, when our kids come into class, uh, both Emily and I have catch-up on the board. So kids come in, and at this point in the year, they're amazing that they just walk in, they look on the board, see what it, what is starred or what is not, and they buckle down and get to work. So we find that our kids typically, now there's always going to be a few exceptions, but typically our kids are within a lesson or two and sometimes just need to see that star to to get moving and get to the recommended pace and then to
2: add on to what dave is saying so if you have a student who is a little bit farther behind um we then just go up to them and just individually look at their checklist and say okay well this one maybe you don't have to do this lesson this could be your should do lesson Um, these are the questions we want you to do on this task card or this activity. So we know what activities might be a little bit more um, are the ones that the students can skip or, you know, not do if they're falling behind. Um, We have that in our head and we kind of just know that and it's more individual for the students. So we have our checklist at all. We want all the students to, Um, or the activities that we want all the students to go through. But then if you have a student who is falling behind individually, we'll just go in and kind of adapt their checklist for them.
1: Is it another great example of how when when you're using something like Google Classroom and when I post whatever the activity or the lesson is for the day for the kids – um, I'll make a copy for every student. I can go into that student's Google Classroom, into that doc, and I can just, if I see that they're really far behind pace and maybe, you know, they're a little reluctant or they're, they're struggling with something and it potentially, it's like, where do I even start? And a lot of this could be, whether it's, you know, because of their profile or because of they're just having a rough week or whatever the situation is, um, I can go in and say, you know what? I'm going to take this out, this out, this out for you and just to help get you back on pace and I've had to do that with some students and just seeing how they start to deflate because they're like yeah. oh my gosh I can feel this is a little bit more manageable yes, now yes, yes. so like and like because uh, like just like what Emily said like we know what are some of the tasks that I'm like okay we could probably let this one go um and let's get you back on pace and working with those students another beauty with Google Classroom as how you can just go in and like take it out and they would be none the wiser sometimes
0: yeah I love that feature of google classroom and and that's that's really cool. It almost kind of feels like lesson classification on the fly, which is like self pacing taking to, to the extreme with lesson classification. That's really cool and I agree, Carla like kids, the relief that you see in a in a child who is behind and all of a sudden has less to do. it's like yeah yeah they really they really appreciate that <laughs> they really appreciate that, yeah for sure cool so we are going to take a quick break we have a, uh, a love note this week and when we come back we're going to talk like i said a little bit more about some of the more one-off or unique things that characterize our different modern classrooms so we'll be right back Hey there, listeners. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Emily, Dave, and Carla as much as I did. I thought it was super insightful. Uh, We have a love note for you this week. This one's from a teacher named Melissa, and Melissa actually touches on a lot of the same things that Emily, Dave, and Carla are talking about. Check it out.
2: My name is Melissa White, and I recently became a
1: distinguished modern classroom educator. I teach kindergarten in a low-income school in a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota. There are many reasons I love being a modern classroom teacher, But one that really sticks out is watching my kindergartners become independent in their learning. Introducing this model, explaining the why and the how to them and building independence took a long time, but it's given me more time to work with students in small groups without distractions. And it's given the students I'm not working with quality instruction and activities that increase their learning instead of just busy work. For anybody who's questioning how this could possibly work with five and six-year-olds, the advice I would give is to be patient, trust the process, and never underestimate the kids.
0: If you want to submit a love note like this one talking about why you love being a Modern Classrooms teacher or what about the model you love, you can do so by emailing it to us at podcast.modernclassrooms.org or by following the instructions linked in the show notes. But for now, let's get back into it and talk about more of the tools that we use for self-pacing. All right, we are back with Emily, Dave, and Carla, and as I mentioned before the break, uh, I'd like to get a little bit more specific with each of our individual modern classrooms now, and let each of you kind of touch on some of the self pacing tools that make your classrooms unique. Anyway, let's uh, let's get the ball rolling here, and I guess start off by just describing what a, what a normal day looks like in your classroom. And I have "normal" in quotes, right? Like a you know, in a modern classroom, I guess every day kind of feels different. But what would a Sort of daily routine be in your class? What routines do you use? What in class protocols, activities, things like that, specifically with regard to self pacing? Um, I, I guess in thinking about this question, one example that I thought of is having something like a lesson all stars sort of a system where you know which students are really good at one lesson and you send other students to them uh, to help with, well, first of all, to take some of the burden off the teacher in a classroom full of kids, but also. To help kids learn that they have peers who can be sort of like self pacing tools right there in the room with them, um, but that's just what I thought of. What, what would you all? What would you all say in terms of like normal routines that you have daily for facilitating self pacing?
3: Yeah, so I would say again, one of the benefits of teaching the grade level that we do is that we get to create our schedule. So that that catch up time that I had mentioned prior to the break is very, very helpful for a self-paced classroom. Yeah. I
0: really, I really like that. I didn't, I didn't comment on it, but I really like that. Yeah. that's
3: a really good idea. So, you know, you have, you have a lot of kids that come in and they are doing catch up, but the kids that are ahead, they kind of, we give them the option of, you know, sometimes they might just, it's the very start of the day. Sometimes they might just want to come in and color or do an art project for a few minutes. And, and if they're ahead, it's a nice, easy way to step into their day. So, um, I like the lesson all stars idea we do something similar towards the start of the year just with like a, a help board and uh i I used to always do like a a black marker if you signed your name in black marker it meant that like other kids could help you too but if it was a blue marker it was something that only I could help with so maybe it was like a specific question about a mastery check oh, or something like that so
0: what a good idea
3: yeah <laughs> but as we as we continued through the year and you you really kind of nag kids about like there's a lot of experts in the building or, or just as kids get better at being able to ask for help and and receive help from each other because we spent so much time on that towards the beginning of the year um, at this point of the year like there are there are times when I mean we don't because <laughs> we're teachers but there are times when you probably could you know like sit at your desk and and watch the kids ask each other for help and get through the work and stuff and it's it's really cool to be able to walk around And see a kid that looks like they need help. And someone else kind of steps in right away. Yeah. Yeah.
2: My day is very similar to Dave's. Like the kids come in. They have that catch up time. Um, I will choose students and be like, hey, this is what you're working on. Because I know you're, you know, a little bit behind on something. Or star, double star something. So they all know that that's what they need to work on. Um, When it comes to our self-paced class. Uh, like Dave said, we're very lucky because we can decide when we want to do it throughout the day so we can set up, check the time aside for us to work on or work on it. And then usually I'll start the class. And I feel like Dave is very similar with sometimes it's a mini lesson that if we know our recommended lesson is this for today, well, it might need a mini lesson. So that's what we'll focus on. At the beginning of the year, it was more about like teaching the concept, this is what we're going to work on. And now the mini lessons are like, this is a recommended, where is everybody and go from there. Sometimes it might just be this lesson needs certain materials. So we'll tell them kind of where to find the materials.
3: They might do a science experiment in like a different room or something even. So you might say like, in in that room is the flashlights to complete this task.
2: Mm -hmm. And then, and sometimes we'll come in and just like, what did we learn from the other day and have that review or share time too. So sometimes at the end of the class we'll come together and share, but sometimes we'll start the class with that share time as well. Um, And another thing is instead of the help board, because throughout the year um, sometimes we don't find it's needed because kids just go to each other and, You know, we let our kids work together and collaborate through it all. We don't care if our kids work together or not, except on mastery checks. Mastery checks, you're doing it by yourself. But when you're doing the work, if you want to work with a friend, you can. I've had students come up to me. And if I'm working with students, another student will step in and be like, I got this. I can help you with it.
0: I love that. I love and, when that happens.
2: Yeah. And we build those routines throughout the year with it. So
0: yeah, but that's really cool. Cause like you work really hard at the beginning to build those routines and then they sort of just take over and the kids start to talk to each other before they even, I, I love that. I've been talking with some other teachers about this recently where I would like, I do a sort of a similar thing where if like, student comes to ask me a question and I'm sitting at my desk doing something, I'll like ask another kid to come over and like me and the other kid who has already finished that lesson will like sort of conspire and look at it together. And then they'll wind up helping the first kid out instead of me. And like, but like all three of us are there having a discussion and it's just really like, it's really fun. Like you said, to see kids doing this for each other.
2: I love when a kid come and ask me for help and I have a student beside
1: me and be like, I can go help them. It's like, perfect. You go right ahead and do that.
0: Yeah, please, please. (laughs) Yeah. Carla, how about you?
1: I usually similar, actually very similar. I will start my day and build our, our day together as a class and we'll talk to them and say, okay, guys, you know, what is it that you need today? Like, what do you need more time of? And so depending on, What's going on in math or English or science or geography? Like there's so much going on. Like there's so many moving pieces and so many subjects that we have to cover. You know, I'll often say to them, okay, what is it that you need today? Um, And sometimes they'll have like 100 minutes of time versus sometimes they'll only have like a 50-minute period or something like that. So the time will shift. And so we'll build our day together, which I think is important because giving students that voice and that opportunity to really um say like what are they what is it that they need um out of their day and they're very reflective about that and they're amazing at sharing that information so I love that component um and then when it comes time to depending on what we're doing so right now because in language we're doing book club um you know I'll just kind of do a quick check-in because I often find that students will continue doing their whatever their independent tasks are They'll do it and potentially finish up it for homework. So I'll find usually at the very beginning of each day for a particular class, um, whether it be math or English or whatever, that there are a bunch of kids who are in need of a mastery check. So then one of the key tools actually that because we were virtual and we rolled out, um, our algebra unit in modern classroom, we, we were kind of dabbling, like, how do we best do the mastery check being virtual? How do we want to tackle this? And we actually started using the Google Classroom question piece. And then what you can do is that you can release for each student individually when they're ready for it. So you can have the questionnaire and deselect, like where it says at the top, it says all students and deselect that. So now I can say, oh, Bob is ready for his mastery check so I can click on Bob and then send it to him directly and then hit save and then when you know Susan is ready then Susan is ready and then when you know Walid is ready okay Walid is ready now and so like you know you can do it that way which has been mind-blowingly awesome and it's been such an easy versus google forms which we've used so like i find that usually the beginning of class is like oh i need mastery so there's like a bunch of masteries happening and just updating our pace tracker like okay where are people at just making sure we're doing that and i have in my classroom like on the one whiteboard I have, uh, you know, an expert station. Um, So if there is people that like, will I will highlight and say, okay, these are some experts that you can potentially go to for certain lessons when it comes to like certain subjects like math, everybody knows who the experts are in the math class. So, you know, so they, they, I don't even need to put names up there, which is great, right? Because they're way smarter than me in math even. So props to them. Um, but yeah, and even like when it cuz some of the tasks that I'll have them do is like the partner corner where they have to like find a partner in class and like do, complete a task together. So that if somebody's looking for a partner and is at the same particular lesson, they can go to there. But, you know, just like Emily said, like it's amazing to see them collaborating and coming together and people that And students that you wouldn't necessarily normally gravitate together will gravitate together. It kind of forces that hand, especially if they're at that same pace um, and they want to keep going and they're like, okay, well, let's get going. Let's work together. So it, it, you know, very routine. What's the word I'm looking for? Like it just naturally allows them to, you know, come together and work together. So there's a lot of different moving pieces and it really I've seen it's very different from one class to the next um, into terms of like how the day and how the, it unfolds. And there's no right or no wrong, right? Because a lot of times even in math class, like we'll start off with like a number talk that we do as a whole class. And then I'll say, okay, let's giddy up and get into, you know, today's modern classroom stuff. So it it varies class by class, day by day, right? Yeah. Um, And I think just
2: even kind of bouncing off what Carla said, one thing that I've really liked and how we can structure our day is when the kids are all collaborating together, that frees you up to be able to work individually with students. And so like I can pull groups or, or pull students or pull a group of students that I know might be struggling on a concept or work one-on-one with a with kids because then my other kids know I'm busy and they will help each other. If they're stuck on like, where do I find something? So that's, Another way that, I don't know, that works really well with modern classroom and just the structure that we have our days just, it frees you up so much to be able to work one-on-one with students.
0: It, It absolutely does. But I think that also that sort of comes from, I don't know, congenial, like familial feeling that you develop in a modern classroom where it's like some kids know this and some kids know that and you can all ask each other stuff. And then if it's some very simple question, like where do I find lesson three or something, Kids will ask each other because that's just what you do in a modern classroom. And and you're right, like it definitely frees the teacher up to to work really intensively with the kids that need it. But also, like it makes the classroom just run more smoothly. And uh, Carla, you said something that I thought was really cool, which is how you sort of like modify the schedule each day based on what the kids say they need.
1: Yeah, that is so awesome. You're, uh, it's kind of funny. I don't have a timetable. I have. I have the periods that I am covered. So my French and my music. So when I the kids go to either French or to go to music. But other than that, it's fluid. It's day by day, depending on what we're doing, um, that we will just kind of like build it together. And it's been very freeing because there's no like, oh well, because how many times have you been in the middle of teaching like a great lesson and then the bell goes and it's like, oh, okay, I guess we're flipping over to history now. And then it doesn't make sense. So by building it, you know, by blocks of time or building it together as a student, like they can tell you like, oh, I really struggled with that math homework. Can we get more time with the math? So then we can go over that. It just gives them not only them, the voice and their, you know, to be heard in the classroom, to give them their input. But it also allows you to kind of like see what the needs are of each day, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because because they tell you what they need. I just had this experience in the, so we have, my school has a sort of a weird Friday schedule where different classes meet on different Fridays. And I had a critique coming up with one of my classes. And our last class before Friday was supposed to be the critique and i just asked them like would you all rather do the critique on friday and they were all the whole class was like yes and i was like okay i get it I'm like they'll tell you they'll tell you um they'll tell you very um emphatically sometimes cool cool so let's talk about a couple more types of self-pacing tools that i think are unique in our different classrooms and um i want to talk about grades i wonder if you grade students on their self-pacing if you use grades as a self-pacing tool um I do in my class at the end, like the number of lessons that you have mastered becomes a percentage grade out of the total number of lessons in the unit. Um, Because I consider that to be mastery based learning, right? If there are 10 lessons to master and you master eight of them, that's 80% mastery on that unit. Um, But that's me. And and I'm curious if grades factor into your self-pacing or inversely, if self-pacing factors into your grades,
1: All right, well, I'm going to start off and say I have gone gradeless this year in my classroom. So not only did I throw modern classroom at them, I throw the gradeless at them. Um, I'm going to give a shout out here to the book on grading by Susan Bloom unbelievable uh, book that uh, blew my mind away. And it was something that I needed to, and I think all educators should definitely take a look at. So when I, um, I've been dabbling in ungrading for a long time. And when I um, read this over the summer, I was like, okay, we're going all in now for sure. And so Basically, when students complete a task, it is um, they're approaching the task, they've met the task, or they've exceeded the task. Now, some tasks are just a met, not met, and some tasks they can potentially exceed. And that's where if they do the may do's or aspire to do is, they could potentially dabble from that to reach those particular areas. Um, but that's where we are at in our classroom. When So right now, we are in the midst of report card writing. And so unfortunately the Ontario ministry has said that I have to put numbers on these report cards and we sat together as, um, one-on-one I, and I'm currently doing this right now with my students. I'm close to being finished. Um, and I'm, I asked them to self-assess and kind of do the reflection of where they think they are at. Um, and they came up with a number and then I sat with them and I would say that 90 7% of my students were like bang on and the other 3% were too hard on themselves. Uh so, you know, they they know where they are as learners and I think, you know, having those clear like met not met You know, they know where they're going wrong and I'm very feedback driven. And so I give a lot of feedback. And even on my math tests, there's like, you know, it's all about comments that I've given about where they messed up or where they went wrong or, you know, oh, try this or that, you know, try it next time. But I've seen for students that especially that struggle with certain concepts, um, removing the grades for those students has been the biggest, like, deflation for them I have ever seen because they are pushing themselves harder because they really want to meet those expectations they really want um they're not seeing you know a letter grade or they're not seeing a number and then labeling themselves as that so I would say more than anything that has been like a huge win and it's been amazing journey um from my opinion, some of my students may disagree with me. Um, especially my high flying students that love to see those marks and they want to see those nineties and they want to see all those level fours. Um, and that's a, been a struggle for them, but it's definitely been a learning curve and we've, we're still learning and still going through it. So
0: that's very cool. That's very awesome. Emily and Dave, how about you two? Do you use grades? Do you self pace through grades?
1: Yeah. Um,
3: I agree with you. I think about like progression shows mastery, but uh, again, like I keep, I keep going back to this, but because of how we are able to, to schedule our day in an elementary setting and through our catch up time and through conversations with parents and, and letting them know where kids are at, or if they need a little bit of extra work at home or anything, we haven't found this to be a problem so far with, with kids falling behind and having incomplete. Assignments or an incomplete unit, so you know at most, as we said, uh, kids would kind of kids would omit maybe one or two activities from the checklist. They maybe don't do um, just like an extra game or something like that. But we're able to keep our kids on pace, so uh, the the progression isn't really an indicator for our marks, and and I think we kind of find that typically your stronger students work through our units pretty quickly at this age, but they get strong marks because they did it independently, um, correctly. Uh, they can demonstrate that they understand it numerous times, not necessarily because they did it quickly because every once in a while a kid will get, uh, like bit in the butt by trying to do something too fast. And then they, they make a mistake or two on their mastery check and have to go back and and retry some practice and do the mastery check all over again. So it, it wouldn't be based on the speed. I don't think.
0: Yeah, no, I, I didn't, I don't do that either. Like I wouldn't give a kid a higher grade cause they finished the unit faster, but I just, I meant like if the pace is considered at the end, sort of like if you don't work fast enough to finish the unit in all of the allotted time, it doesn't have to be a grade in and of itself, but it does mean that they learned less, right? There's, there's lessons that they objectively didn't master cause they didn't get to them. Um, So I was just curious how that sort of played out in in the grades, but that, that makes sense.
2: And at our um, age level, like we don't really have an end of unit date. We kind of start our unit and see how the students are progressing. And then when they're getting towards the end, then it's like, okay, this is when we're going to finish off the unit. Um, And then for our students to make sure, like we want all of our students to master each concept before they're moving on. So for us, and this is something we didn't mention in our checklist, is like we do have like a needs more practice section of it. So if a student is struggling to understand the concept and they're not ready to move on, they have a little bit more time or we give them more activities that they can work on to make sure that they master the concept. Or if they don't do well on the first mastery check, well, here, let's make sure we understand before you move on and that way the students are always kind of mastering each concept and we're making sure that they're completing each column in our checklist.
1: Yeah I was gonna say one of the things that we noticed is that we would like when we created a unit we would have all the different lessons like for example let's say math and algebra and there's you know, six different individual lessons that they have to eventually work through. And then there is some kind of a summative assessment that we do at the end. So regardless of it's English or math or geography, there's always some kind of a summative task that they have to do. So, and we'll say and set a hard deadline for that particular particular task. So it's like, okay, you know, let's say if it is hypothetically like a math test, okay, here's your math test. Your math test date is on next Thursday. You need to make sure. And so that really helps them that with that pacing piece of knowing, okay, I need to make sure I keep on track. Cause in the very beginning, when we first rolled this out, we didn't set any kind of dates and we found that the kids just were like kind of willy-nilly with it and not hitting goals and were falling very behind pace and we were like so we found that especially with the grade eight students that having those there's soft deadlines that this is where you kind of should be to be on pace but also setting those hard deadlines and saying okay this is the unit test and you need to know lessons one through six by you know by Thursday of next week so you need to make sure you're hitting that pace because at the end of the day we are trying to build in those because there is those hard deadlines in school, in life. There is, you know, so in having that regulation piece built in to, you know, work with them. And some kids, I I found that the kids are more successful with that than not having those deadlines in place, if that helps as as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I often talk about that with with, you know, in the sort of the context of modern classrooms, like having soft deadlines and also hard deadlines, but like breaking up the self-pacing sort of scope yeah. into smaller pieces that you can self-pace on as opposed to saying, you know, here's 20 lessons. I'll see you in November.
1: Yeah. So like kind of like if I was to like look at the big picture, so that whatever that summit of task is, is essentially like, they should be able to master that because they've all the mini stuff that they've gone, all the lessons that they've done along the way is basically this summative task is like a big showcase, right? Is that showcase of knowledge. And you know, so that is the big piece that I essentially that's quote unquote, what I mark um, or what I assess and give the feedback on. And all of like the guided notes and the stuff along the way is the stuff that just helps them build towards that end journey.
0: Yeah. That resonates with me as well. Like I, I, I have them build up towards a summative. Like each lesson is one step of the summative at the end. And so there's 10 steps, right? And if they do eight of the 10, then their summative will be missing two things.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So like it does, it does sort of come out in their grades for the summative as well. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Cool. Very cool. Well, man, we're running long. Uh, Let's, let's, close out with a question that i think a lot of teachers who are apprehensive about trying a self-paced class have which is how we deal with students who fall behind in a self-paced class and so we're talking about the tools that we use for self-pacing like what tools and maybe what strategies do you use when you have kids who fall fall behind in your classes
2: um i think we touched a little bit about what we do we have that catch-up time to allow students to catch up when they are falling behind. If they're falling quite behind, um, I usually just have a conversation with them and try and talk to the student and see why they're falling behind. Maybe they are really struggling on a concept and they need more one-on-one time with me. Um, maybe they're in the class very distracted and need a quiet place to go work. And we're very lucky in our, in our school to have different areas that students can work um, at so maybe we just need to work on that. I had a conversation the other day with a student who gets very distracted very easily by things around them. and it was just I need to block out the noise. Well, okay, let's maybe try listening to music. And I contacted the parents and they were willing to, you know send a device to school with a playlist and they that's what the student needed to get them focused while they're working. So I like to have that conversation before, I communicate with the parents. And if the student is falling behind, I also communicate with parents to see how I can be supportive with them at school, but also how parents can support us as well. So sometimes it might just be sending something home so the student can get caught up.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Like the strategy is a conversation, but it results in like sort of like one-off and very sort of bespoke solutions for each individual student based on their needs.
2: It holds the students accountable too, right. For their own learning. Yeah, yeah. And they know what they
1: need best.
0: Definitely. Uh, Carla, Carla, how about you?
1: Um, I think that you are naturally going to have students in your class that are going to fall behind pace. And I think it's a matter, just like Emily said, is having a conversation with them, like what's going on, what's causing it. Is it, you know, are they overwhelmed? Do they understand what they need to do? Um, what is causing and this need, and so what modifications or accommodations do you need to put into place to better support that student? And it could be a matter of just you know sitting down with them and just maybe explaining the task you know one on one in person versus you know having them watch a video. Like maybe that's not their best way of learning. Um, maybe it's a matter of just like going through and like I previously said, like just going into their Google Classroom, going into the doc and cutting certain things out and saying, okay, we're not going to worry about this task and just kind of like removing some. Of those, you know, workload pieces that maybe it's just too much for them, right? Um, But I think it's that chunking too of like making sure you're really clearly chunking the tasks. And, you know, like I said previously as well, that I made the mistake of dumping too much into Google Classroom too fast, too much at one time. And so being really aware of how much are you posting each week, what is like a reasonable amount versus, you know, what is, you know, too much. Because I think if you have, let's say, you know, it's a six part math lesson that you have, if you dump all six lessons, sure, there's going to be like a couple of kids that will do all six of them in probably one night if they can. Um, However, you're going to have people that look at six lessons and be like, Oh my gosh, I can't, I don't even know where to start. And it's too much for them. So it's just being very mindful of like, kind of keeping track of like, Who's where in terms of mastery, in terms of releasing the next lesson, just to make sure that it doesn't become so overwhelming for them?
0: Yeah, this is really interesting. As I listen to both of you sort of respond to this question, it's occurring to me that, like, the answer to this is the same as all the previous answers. It's just modern classrooms. <laughs> like, it's the stuff that we do. And when a kid does happen to fall really far behind, you know, we can sort of kick into gear and become, you know, use our teacher tricks, like reaching out to parents and things like that. Um, but But the structure is there for them to catch up. Absolutely. You know, the structure is there for us to tell parents what they need to do and guardians to catch up also. Like the structure makes it really obvious what has to be done, what they're behind on specifically, and and they can do it. Um, You know, I was thinking about like sending progress reports, which is something that I've talked about and that I do. Uh, I use my progress tracker for that. But like as you as you answer this question, it's occurring to me that, you know, Modern Classrooms is not the silver bullet that solves all of our problems. We do have students fall behind. And we have the tricks. We have the tools. Teachers are good at this. And I, I really appreciate hearing that. Um, it's it's a cool, different way to think about it that has sort of changed my mindset on that. So that was awesome. <laughs> um, like I said, we kind of ran long. It was a really packed and awesome conversation. Um, I uh, I really appreciate the three of you taking the time, the extra time to join me tonight um, to talk about this stuff. Emily, Dave, and Carla, thank you all so much for joining me.
1: Thank you. Yeah,
3: thanks for having us.
0: Absolutely. And listeners, remember you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org if you have feedback or want to ask questions about what we talked about here. Um, You can find the show notes for this episode, which, like I said, are completely packed at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 75. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a great week. We will be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org, and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Praj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project
3: podcast.